So good evening, everybody. Welcome to Live from the Table. My name is Noam Dwarman. I'm the owner of the Comedy Cellar. I'm here tonight without Dan Natterman, who's, where is he, Max? Uh, in Maryland. In Maryland. And without Periel, who um, has COVID for like the fifth time. I think they're boycotting my appearance. It's like a boycott divestment sanctions thing. I'm like the one who's supposed to boycott it. Anyway, um, <laughs> but we're here with uh, Jay Michelson, Rabbi Jay Michelson. As you like it. How, how do you like it? I like it just Jay Michelson. Jay Michelson, who is um, a journalist, teacher, rabbi, and lawyer. Yeah, ex-lawyer. But yeah. Ex-lawyer, but it's not in your bio. Uh, but I, I deduced it. He is the author of 10 books, including The Heresy of Jacob Frank, which won the 2022 National Jewish Book Award for scholarship. He holds a Ph.D. in Jewish thought from Hebrew University. Oh, a J.D. from Yale Law School. Yale Law. See, we didn't closet it. It's in there. Is that a—Yale's uh, uh, no joke. And a non-denominational rabbinic ordination. Oh, non, what does that mean? You're not conservative. You're not reform. You're, yeah, you're not, not orthodox. Really, no. <laughs> Exo, ex-Orthodox. Really? Well, for like 10 years, I was Orthodox practicing, yeah. Wow, were you raised Orthodox? No, I was raised conservative. I was like a nice Jewish boy from Long Island. And then um, I got into religious practice for like mystical, spiritual reasons, and the Orthodox have that in spades. Oh, that's very interesting. We should talk about that. Um, Almost finished here. He's a frequent commentator on CNN. I always tell her these intros are too long, but this is it. Uh, CNN, but you have have a lot to, to recommend. You're a contributor to Rolling Stone, The Daily Beast, the Forward and other publications. Uh, publications. Dr. Michelson worked as an LGBTQ activist for 10 years and has been included in the Forward 50 list of influential American Jews. I, I'm not on that list. We should put you on there. <laughs> um, you just pay off the right people that put you on the list. <laughs> he lives He lives outside of New York City. Where do you live? Uh, Montclair, New Jersey. Oh, oh, who else lives in Montclair? Doesn't Coleman Hughes come from Montclair? Half of the media. I'm not sure. No, Coleman's about to get married, and once he gets married, he's going to move to Montclair. I told him this. You know Coleman? Yeah, yeah. How do you know Coleman? We're on CNN together a lot. Yeah, they like put him on as like the centrist, and they put me on as the lefty, and like they let us fight it out. Oh, he and I are, are very, very close friends. Yeah, yeah. No, I love hanging out with him. Um, uh, you know, we, we're like we're really close friends. All right. So, you uh, the the you've written a lot. Um, I think I invited you here first when you wrote about. I guess it was the Harvard and the 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 university. You presidents. timed it really well. You maybe you precipitated the resignation because you did the invitation before it happened. Then it happened. Then I wrote another article, and now here I am. You're like right on the news uh, on the news. Uh, I do that a lot. Nice. All right, so let's take it step by step because uh, I'm very interested to get like the reasonable left wing perspective you went to Yale Law School so uh, I you know I, I in some ways I'm going to understand where you're coming from um what was your take on these university professors you seem to defend them when the, when the rest of us Jews were clutching our pearls so <laughs> defend what, what? And a, yeah defend and criticize is what I would say so the real the people I want to criticize most is whoever was in the Harvard Public Affairs office and Penn also that basically said we're going to def- defer to our lawyers there's a uh, legal commentator by the name of David Latt who run he has a Substack and he interviewed a bunch of lawyers who do crisis prep you know which is what this basically was and you know the consensus was they were kind of in can I say cover your ass on the podcast you you, you should Sure can I just did? Um, <laughs> Fuck yeah! yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, you know, and that was that was the mode. Like, don't say anything that's going to be held against us, basically. So they knew they were facing hostile questions from Elise Stefanik, and the lawyer said, "Don't say anything. Just quote the policy and just do nothing." And that was exactly the wrong advice, right? That didn't read the room. So that was the right legal advice. If I was on the legal team, I might say the same thing. They were worried that down the road. 
if somebody, you know, they could that they could be opening Harvard up for, you know, for litigation or for at least some kind of an enforcement action or congressional inquiry if she had said something that they then didn't enforce. So she's like, yes, of course this would violate the policy. How dare you even suggest such a thing? And then they didn't enforce it. That would be legal action. But that's the wrong advice. I think you're old enough to remember, probably listeners are not, you know, that Mike Dukakis question, which was asked in the presidential campaign when you were seven years old. You know, there was a question asked to him in, that, you know, what if he was against uh, the death about penalty? About the death penalty. If he yeah. Could. And he's like, what if your wife was raped and murdered? It was this awful question. And what was he was supposed to do was be outraged, right? That's what that question was for. Instead, he gave a legalistic answer, and it was one of the many things that sunk that campaign. But what? Okay, but what what should they have answered? Well, so here's so the question was a trick question, right? It was a trap. The question was if somebody calls for genocide against the Jews, first of all, we could talk about that phrase later. Would that violate the harassment policy? The right answer would have been to say that's a horrible con- thing. I condemn it completely. As to whether it violates the harassment policy, that depends on context. Instead, she only said the second half, but that's accurate. So let's say we're in a, we're in a college seminar, you and I are in a college seminar, and I say something you know, asinine about Israel. Israel is a colonial estate. Uh, it should be driven into the sea. All the Jews are murderers or something like that. But in a college seminar where we're discussing political science, I don't think that's harassment, right? That may be a bigoted, asinine thing to say, but it's not harassment. It's harassment if I harass you. If I say the same sentences at a Shabbat services at Harvard Hillel, that's obviously harassment because I'm going there and I'm harassing you. So it does. It depends on context. Again, so I'm defending her answer, but I'm not defending the tactic of answering in that way, which was, in my view, glad. Can I, can I tell you that I think you're, you're way too informed, and because you're so informed, you're not, you're not, Receiving it the way people like me received it. Yeah, I'm willing. To, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what, what, me, what, I, what yeah. I what I heard was this woman who runs the university that scored minus ten, I think, on the uh, uh, um, the fire. What is fire? Is it freedom uh, in, right. in uh, whatever they say? Yeah, uh, rights free, rights in education. Yeah, um, they actually scored below zero. Who has? Was involved in firing a, a a lawyer as a as a dorm dean because he was had the nerve to defend Harvey Weinstein. But uh, you know, cr- most criminal people, most criminal defendants are unsavory. Um, she was involved in getting Roland Fryer uh, tried to get him fired and have his tenure revoked. Been some other things uh, that. People who have um, a professor who invited who invited Charles Murray was then not rehired. I mean, there's a whole list of things that Harvard did. So each that, one of those examples was about faculty, right? Or you know, or guest speakers. Right, right. That's right. what I'm saying. You're getting too, okay. you're getting too technical. That this I don't think that's too technical. Well, let me just say that this that this university that was so fussy and so outrageous in terms of uh, creating communicating to their students that they had every reason to expect to be protected from things which might bother them, now was equivocating about the advocacy of genocide. And those two concepts just can't hold. It's got to be one or the other. Yeah, I mean, I get that narrative. That makes a lot of sense. But it does fall apart in the details, right? And the details do matter. Then the the details are wrong. You you can't have a university. The details are not wrong. You can't. This is why, one second. Let me say one more thing. It was a trick question. Let me say one more thing. I promise I'll say You can't have a university which says, if you're an attorney who takes the wrong criminal defendant, 
we're not going to let you be a dean of a, of a uh, Winthrop house, whatever it was. But you guys possibly can march saying, kill all the Jews. So That, that can't be. Come I, on. I st- I'm going to defend okay, that. Go ahead, defend. Because there's a huge difference between being an employee of the university and being a student. Students say stupid shit all the time. They have since as long as they were students. And their right to, stay stu- to say stupid shit should be defended by the university, including shit that is extremely offensive, if it crosses the line into harassment. So let's even say, let's take a borderline case. Let's take a case where there's like a, 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 a ceasefire rally, nothing overtly anti-Semitic, but a ceasefire rally that happens, again, like at the Harvard Hillel during Shabbat services. That's like borderline harassment, right? You're a Jewish kid. You're just trying to go go to services, and here are these protesters. It's you know blocking your entrance or whatever it is that they're doing. That to me starts to look like harassment. But if you're just saying something, if you're a if you're a student who's saying something stupid, offensive, even racist, even anti-Semitic, that's not. This is why it was a trick question. Again. Is, do I think it's good? Of course not. Do I think that the the university should condemn that speech if somebody marches down, you know, Harvard Law, Harvard Yard and says, "Kill all the Jews"? Yes, obviously they should condemn it. But that's the thing. In all of the head, well, I say all. In most of the headlines that cover this thing, they say Claudine Gay refuses to condemn anti-Semitism. That's not what she said. She was asked a trick question about does it violate a, a harassment policy, which actually for me is a very Jewish question. It's halachic, right? This is like a Talmud study thing. It's like a trick question. It's like, well, if a man's ox kills somebody else is that person liable that's horrible what are we talking about like a guy just died because of an animal well we talk about but whether don't, he's don't you have it backwards shouldn't the university be a place where people who you know defend like there was one woman where i have it here who uh so i think she wrote written a book on testosterone and she had certain views about uh male and female sex differences um larry summers had been uh, had, had said things about sex differences. Charles Murray has various views on. Find me an example. It's about a student, not right. But I'm saying, them. shouldn't universities stand for having intellectual people whose views might be quite unpopular, being able to speak to students, as opposed to allowing students to run amok. You know, perhaps carrying swastikas or whatever it is. Like, like, why, why would, why would that be part of the university's mission? The university's mission is to have have students grapple with difficult ideas, yep. some of which may be true. Um, and this obviously metastasizes into so many things in life, where the Twitter was banning things, and the New York Times was uh, saying that uh, lab leak theory was racist. I mean, it all, it all comes from this same seed. Yeah, so I, I, you know, this like whole anti-cancel culture thing, I don't know. So let me go back to some of your specific examples. So now I'm a woman who was, you know, God forbid, was a victim of sexual assault when I was a teenager. I'm living in a dorm. Literally, the guy in my dorm defended Harvey Weinstein. I think you can make a pretty good case that that dude should not be a dorm counselor or whatever the hell his job was, right? That's that's not just like my feelings are hurt or somebody said something that was offensive. That's like the that's guy cr- who defended cr- a convicted rapist is like the dude in my dorm room. Uh, I think like that's like uh, you, a you went to weird. Yale Law School. He's innocent. I thought he was. Uh, yeah. Well, why would, why would, convic- why would he be convicting? I, a, why would he should be? Didn't he, go to jail. He went to jail. Yeah. So afterwards. he's clearly not innocent. Yeah, but he went to jail after the trial. 
So when right, he so was I innocent, he was innocent during this the is trial. Your example, not mine. I don't know what the example, what the chronology of this example is. I would say that if there's somebody, it, or maybe if it was he was already people. guilty. I, all right, let's just so that's an, that's an example. It's not just about like hurt feelings or something like that. Now let's turn it around. So well, what, where, other, what other crime? Prior, what other crimes shouldn't a, a, a lawyer be able to defend and keep his job at the university? It's not about keep his job. It's keep a specific job. Yeah, he's the dude in the dorm. You would feel okay sending your daughter to that dorm where like the guy who defended Harvey Weinstein is the person in charge of keeping her safe absolutely come on no come, no there's no way you would you'd be like wait a minute this guy's the guy i mean I, I understand what lawyers do you understand what lawyers do but nonetheless you really i mean of all of the like situations this him, is, give this him is, some other job i, I am shocked i'm honestly shocked that he says first of all you know the famous story that john adams and i, I just want to say like i don't know the details of this was your your example so there may be details uh, i don't know about sullivan I'll, is I'll it take R- it ronald sullivan it's not a story i know about so i'll take it fully back if there's facts i don't know about well, uh, we, but in the way that you've no there's no up, facts you don't know it's it's as simple as as that, that. That I just don't know that I just don't know that that dude is the guy who I want keeping women safe in dorms. It's not that I don't want him on the faculty of the law school. He should certainly be. Look, Alan Dershowitz is uh, on the faculty of the law school. He does a lot of things. You had him on the show, so it's like fine. Like, so that's so totally Johnny fine. so Johnny Cochran shouldn't totally. Be... He should totally be on the faculty, but should he be the guy whose job he's it a, is? He's a defense to... attorney. He's not. Come on, you would really wouldn't go for that. This is like a crazy. Hold on, this I'll is tell a crazy hypothetical. No, no, this is not a hypothetical. It actually happened. No, if if like if one of our kids you and know, I was, absolutely, was in the I would tell my daughter, this has he's not defending the idea of rape. He's defending a criminal defendant. I get it, but he wasn't a public defender who had to take the case. Doesn't he was hired? He took the money. He did the thing. Like I, I'm not like saying again. I'm not canceling him. I'm not. So, so you know that John Adams defended one of the people, one of the British soldiers at the Boston Massacre. Okay, so he wasn't the head of a dorm at Harvard, was he? Well, no, but I mean, but it's was, a very context specific. But he was elected question. president. All right, I think we're going off on a bye. No, no, no. This is interesting. But the reality. So then he was elected president. So that there is an analogy there. The American people were able to say that this guy who defended one of the murderers of the Boston Massacre was still able to be trusted in charge of America. I'm just, look, the example you gave was very context-specific. I'm not saying he should be canceled. I'm not saying he should be fired. I'm saying that in that particular thing. But let's go back to to this allegation. So if they're really students running amok with swastikas, which was the phrase I kind of want to stay on the the, the lawyer thing because— What do you want me to say? I've said what I said. It's a context-specific case where a person is in charge of the safety and well-being of students in an extremely vulnerable situation. Right, but are you saying, therefore, that you don't trust— a defense attorney to properly look after, first of all, the safety and well-being. I mean, this is kind of not even true, but but let's say it was uh, true. I mean, in my dorm, so when I was a freshman, in my first year of, at Columbia, a student, there were two two male students, one of whom was gay, the other was 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 straight. The straight student sexually harassed the gay student. The, the RA on my floor, who happened to be a conservative Christian, said, well, boys will be boys. We're not going to report this. We're not going to press charges. Do I think so? I have firsthand experience with what dorm life is like what, in sexual that's a good, harassment. That's a good, right. So, so, so are you saying it says it suggests to me that somebody who voluntarily chose of all of the criminal defendants in the world to take this one where there was come on an overwhelming amount of evidence even before the trial. He's innocent until proven guilty. But as a lawyer, you know, you have the decision about which clients you're going to take. So of all of the well, somebody's got to defend him. Okay, but of all the defendants in the world, you chose to, you this hypothetical lawyer chose to took this take this money from Harvey Weinstein of all people, and now you're going to be in this role of being the guardian. It is a vulnerable situation. 
for people in dorms. And I just don't know that it's that horrible. I'm not, I didn't plan to talk about this. It's not even a case I even knew about until you mentioned it. But I'm just saying like there's this hyperbole that like, oh, if I feel bad, somebody gets canceled or something like that. But that's not really how it is. So, and again, so you think you still part- haven't, there hasn't been a single example where it's been student, right? Some, a student saying something stupid getting canceled. Right. No, I, I agree. But but and, just to and just, if they are running amok with swastikas, that violates the harassment policy. Because if I'm a Jewish kid walking across campus and there's people running amok, that's your phrase, with swastikas, that that is going to come. Well, how about not running? How about just just wait? Just I just want to say one thing. We'll move on. I don't think you could draw any any. I don't even think you actually believe this that you can draw any conclusions from someone from to say that a, a criminal defense attorney, criminal defense attorneys essentially, they handle. Uh, cases of people who are accused of terrible things. Some of them are innocent, some of them are not. You say you knew that Harvey Weinstein was guilty, but of course, how many cases have we seen go up in smoke like that? You don't know. Yeah, but, no. the, but, the, but to compare that to somebody who would therefore not care about <clears throat> somebody being raped in the dorm is is in, I'm just is, saying is, the dorm is, is amazing. To no, me. my point yeah. about the RA, which was my, which is a true story that happened on the floor of my dorm. That story is to say that this is a heightened case. Like we would pretend, you could use a lawyer legally a lawyerly term if we wanted heightened scrutiny. That this is an extremely sensitive situation, and we use law, rules that we normally wouldn't use. We normally wouldn't say we can't. We wouldn't say to that lawyer. Uh, you know, you can't work at the Seven Eleven, or you can't be a law professor at Harvard Law School. We would just say that, well, gosh, this is a pretty sensitive situation. These people are, you know, young, I would tell, I would tell my here. daughter, honey, you're you're out to lunch here. He's an attorney. This has nothing to do, and you have no reason to think he's not a good person. I, that's what I would, I say would think reasonable people could disagree about. Yeah, I guess so. you're. I, yeah, I guess. clearly okay. that's already happened. So, so all right. So then, um. You think they can carry, but students can carry swastikas. So again, anytime there's, if they're carrying it in any way that is creating a, an unsafe environment or whatever the exact words were from the Harvard harassment policy for any student, then that's in violation of the of the harassment but policy. You, but you can envisage. But, they, but that wasn't the question, was it? Right. But the I'm asking you. Was calls for the genocide of the Jewish people. So I don't even know what that means. Uh, so let's, let's take let's take a. Hyper- Nobody ever says I hereby call for the genocide of the X or Y people. Nobody says that. What they make are statements with statements which are tantamount amount to calls for genocide. So let's flip the script for a second. So uh, Batsal Smotrich, uh, you know, a minister in the current government, said that the Palestinians should be transferred out of Gaza, that Gaza should be turned into a, you know, there should be not just settlements, but the, the whole place should be reoccupied. Palestinians, now we found out today that there's even actual, I can't believe this is happening, apparently there really are conversations between Israel and Congo, that the Congo is going to take in Palestinian, quote unquote, refugees from Gaza. Is that a call for genocide? It's certainly a call for ethnic cleansing. So now already, just the phrase call for genocide, right? Just that phrase already requires interpretation. But it's not a, but it's context, not a, but it's not a call for genocide. So we don't know. I, to me, it is. It's like, it's no. a call for ethnic cleansing or yeah. transfer population. Well, ethnic cleansing, close. hold on. Ethnic cleansing, as horrible as it is, is not genocide. So I wrote an article for the for the forward uh, attacking the use of the word genocide in discussing Israel's yeah. Operation Gaza. Yeah. The left right. hated me for it. That's fine. Yeah. I went through the genocide convention. There are five prongs. Genocide invites killing. It, 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 Actually, in the genocide convention, forced population transfer is one of the five uh, indicia uh, of whether the crime of gen- the international law crime of genocide is being committed. So it's not sufficient in and of itself, but it's one of those uh, one right. of the five. So, so go ahead, make your point. Anyway. So my point is is that even the phrase called 
call for genocide requires interpretation and context. So we saw the controversy, it's like a month or two ago, around the phrase, from the river to the sea. Most Jews, well, I don't know most Jews, a lot of Jews, myself included, see that as, if not a call for genocide, something pretty close to it, right? However, there are also a lot of Jews and non-Jews who don't see that phrase as a call for genocide. So it depends on context. Already, the answer that she gave was factually accurate, but politically stupid. She gave the correct answer that it really depends on context. If somebody is at a is at a political rally and says Palestine shall be free from the river to the sea, is that a call for genocide or not? It really depends. Um, so you, you, I'm looking at the, uh, definition of genocide. I don't see, um, moving people in the UN thing. Um, you can pull it up. It's in my. You can. You can just so use the killing members of a group, causing or... serious bodily mental harm to members of the group, right. deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about right. physical destruction, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, yep. forcibly transferring children of the group. Oh, just children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, to tra- transferring children to another group. In other words, taking their children away. Right. 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 To take. So I don't see that. But um, so you're you're giving the am- the ambiguous cases. Um, and they and they give me the most crystal clear case you can right. So, realistically so but, but she didn't. She purposely because she had started out with River to the Sea, Stefanik, and then she, like a lawyer, went to the ad absurdum. She says, "What if they're just purely calling for genocide? Kill all the Jews! Kill all the Jews!" Um, so I don't, that's not what she said, though. She said, "Call for genocide." You said, "Kill all the Jews." So I would say, yeah, if somebody gets up in a, in a public space and says, "Kill all the Jews," and there's you know different kinds of people around, and yeah, that sounds like a violation of the rest no, no, of the policy. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're making you're make, your your point relies on the notion that the things being said are not actually calls to genocide. You're saying they say "river to the sea." No, 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 no. Let's say it's kill all the Jews. I mean, I but, would but say, your earlier point about "river to the sea," right? She just said it depends on context. Right, but, but using that example. Her con- when she says it depends on context, what she means, you could say that, but not it's not really a call to genocide. That's the context. They mean they say river to the sea, but they're not. It's, it's, they don't actually mean kill all the Jews. And Stefanik's saying, wait, but what if it is a call for genocide? Is that uh, violate the, the the policy? And she says, uh, you know, it still depends on context. I mean, again, I'm not defending. So, so give me a context where it's okay. It depends on what the phrase is. I mean, I get. I could say, I don't know. I'm thinking off the top of my head. I can't think of any context in which someone's standing up and saying, "Kill all the Jews." I can't okay. either. Okay, so in that context, if that's the call for genocide, then it doesn't. Then that's it. That that's it. That violates the policy. But there are I th- a lot of I ways. I think any call. I think any call for genocide. Listen. How I, about I, uh, how about Tibet is part of China? No, that's I, I. That is a call for genocide. We know historically that the Chinese Communist Party has occupied Tibet since 1959. Your podcast is going to get in trouble from even saying this. You're not going to get distributed in China. We know that a million Tibetans were murdered by the Chinese regime in one of the largest genocides of the last century. And when someone says Tibet is part of China, that's a call for genocide. Tibet is not part of China. It's a it's a nation occupied by China. Well, look, I I am actually on the other side. So I'm, I'm to the I'm to the I'm to the right of you on this in the sense that I would let people say whatever the hell they want. I I really don't care. So you're only saying. claiming that it's a double standard because I, I only care about the double standard. I don't think um, that many people. So in that case, she, you would say she was right, but hypocritical. So you would say I, yes. That's what I started by saying I think the the, the the real outrage is with the utter hypocrisy. For years, they've been telling us about trigger warnings, and trigger warnings are based on what. 
watched because the kids are so sensitive and safe spaces and crying rooms and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden say, but you know, calls for genocide that that's, you know, we don't, we, that should be okay. Yeah, but finish the sentence. She didn't say that should be okay. That's where I'm going to keep harping on this point. She said it doesn't violate the harassment policy. She didn't say it would be okay. In fact, in, a, in her well, that's what I mean, statement, she, well, that's a big difference. There's a huge, there's a lot of things that are not okay, but don't violate a harassment policy. If I steal some of the equipment from this kind of cool recording studio, that's definitely not okay, but it doesn't violate a harassment policy. It was a very specific question calculated to bring about this result, and that's what uh, happened. Uh, here's it. Stefana, can you say yes to, the, to that question of, does calling for genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules on bullying harassment? Claudine Gay, calling for the genocide of Jews is anti-Semitic. Stefanik, so? Claudine Gay, and that is anti-Semitic speech. And as I have said, when speech crosses into conduct, Stefanik, and it's a yes, I've asked the witnesses, when speech crosses into conduct, we take action. So what I take from that is that anti-Semitic speech is okay. Not okay. As, Stop saying okay. Well, allowable. Every time, it's not allowed. It's only not in violation of a harassment policy. Okay, that, let's define that as okay That's, for this. It's not. No, I no, I'm not defining it as okay. okay. Not in it's violation of thing. not in violation of policy. Meaning not in, of meaning, a harassment meaning and bullying you policy. Can, you can do it. You can engage in it on campus, and it won't violate the harassment policy. If you say something, does it violate some other policy? Sure, probably does. If she, you violate, she mention it. She, if you because she wasn't asked that question. Oh come on, that was exactly the trap that I mentioned at the come top. On. That was exactly. She, you have three it's hate speech. presidents hate of speech. Ivy of, of two, two Ivy leagues at MIT, and they are they are they, what are they? De Department of Motor Vehicle Bureau who, who, who can't answer <laughs> like they ask like robots. Claudine Gay. Claudine Gay is a quantitative scholar who's known in circles in the academic circles as a kind of a bureaucrat and a technical but thinker. three of them there should look the law the the you know the pen president too law professor not really knows this is the, come these on were fish why, out of why, water. why are you when turning you yourself watched, into a pretzel i'm to not defend i the am not in a pretzel at all i'm not a pretzel. So you're, you're saying the that, one who's saying that you're the one who's saying that violates a harassment policy is uh, is the same as you know okay or you know that's not true there are plenty of things. Don't hang me up on okay. You know what I mean by okay. No, I don't. There are plenty of things that are not okay, that are racist or sexist or anti-Semitic or homophobic or what have you, that are terrible, that we condemn, right. as she did. She said it's anti-Semitic, right? But it doesn't violate a harassment or bullying policy. So, and you should support that because you're the one waving the free speech I, flag. I, I, I do support so it. But none, I'm saying, of those, but I'm, none of the examples that you gave were about a violation of a harassment and bullying policy. Well, they were about faculty members or they were about guests of organizations that were invited by faculty members. They were about people getting platforms. So you, you're telling me in, in all this repeated questioning, the head of MIT, Harvard, and University of Pennsylvania— when they were asking about does it violate the uh, harassment or bullying policy, all of them knew, well, it doesn't violate that policy, but it certainly violates other policies. And not one of them thought to say, well, it's not the, it's not the harassment policy which it violates. It's, it violates this policy. Even, even when they were looking stupid and, and ridiculous to the world, not one of them thought to say, let me just be clear. They're not allowed to say it. 
It's just a different rule that prohibits it. I'm not even sure that it's they're not allowed to say it is even accurate. I'm not even sure if you get up and you if somebody gets up and says something racist at a university in in a again in the right context. Let's say it's a college classroom. So somebody gets up and defends Charles Murray. That was your example. Charles Murray. Well, they for, defend him. They wanted to let him speak. So let's so let's say let's let's say that Charles Murray speaks, he says the bell curve, black people are stupider than white people. Okay. So now somebody in class says, you know, I, I read the bell curve and uh, I was really this person says i'm afraid of somebody taking this clip out of context i read this book i'll and, be the one to do yeah it. i know <laughs> no. i i read this book and i think it's smart this is a great idea i think he's totally right this is why black people score p- more poorly on text on uh you know standardized tests this is exactly right that to me is a racist statement um and yet i don't know that is that student can be punished for saying something stupid in a classroom okay well first of all i don't know that charles Murray was coming to talk about the bell curve because the bell curve is so long ago um, and, and many of these cases, these these speakers are disinvited not for what they're going to speak about, but for other opinions that they might hold. So, for instance, the Stanford no speaker, Stanford Law School no speaker who was Zionist was allowed to come to speak for anything. This, all the student groups got together and they and they forbid any any Zionist speaker. It's because I was banned from Berkeley for being a left wing Zionist because yeah. I was as a supporter of J Street, which is a no, Zionist but, organization. But, so, I was deemed insufficiently kosher for the Hillel to speak, but. The, the notion of uh, race and IQ, as, as <clears throat> unpleasant as I find that conversation, not even that long ago, there was an op-ed in the New York Times about it. The bell curve was on the front page of the uh, New Republic when it came out. It was reviewed in every major publication. Um, it's, it's Harvard. I would uh, say that they, if someone wants to support they, the They bell, can handle it, can't they? Uh, yeah, and I think that was her point. <laughs> yeah. and that was part, no, it wasn't her point. She wasn't there. But that's the point of what, what I'm trying to say. There are ideas that are odious that if they're discussed in the right context, that is protected speech. That's what you, as a, if you like fire, if you like all this protected speech stuff and we're free speech libertarians and we hate cancel culture, that is what we should support. The case with Charles Murray at Harvard in particular, again, this But, you, but you're faculty. not one of those free speech people. I mean... You don't I even want. A, you don't even want a defense attorney. I didn't like the defense attorney taking taking a responsibility. The guy who's defending the accused rapist being the person who's going to protect you know people and being safe in a dorm. But that, I'd but be happy to hear but him that's, speak if but he wants to give him a give a speech. But so that's not that, just free speech. That's that's speech fundamental to the very system of government that we have. I mean, when I was when I was at, at law school, Dershowitz came to can, speak. Can I ask, can I ask you one question? Cause, 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 just because I think very, very. You said, "Come on, we knew that Harvey Weinstein was guilty." No, I didn't say we knew. You said we knew. I said there was a lot of evidence. All right. You said overwhelming evidence, something like that. I said there was a whole it lot was, of it evidence. Was, it was part so of your... So you know when you're... You know, it was you part of your point. So let me ask the question. Is it the fact that he took, a ra- a, somebody, took on somebody accused of rape or just Harvey Weinstein? Uh, and then who gets to make that decision? He makes that decision, and he lives with the consequences of that decision. So the, so the Harvard rule should be no lawyer who defends rapists, murderers, I don't know, what other things I, I would just say should should be allowed to <laughs> be in charge of a dorm. Uh, you know, be an RA at a door, whatever you call it, dean like of a door. I would just say that's insanity. You I, know that. You, you, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you rethink that. You know that's crazy. I don't think it's crazy. That's at counter all. to all our civics. It's not. These people are innocent or proven guilty. The, 
No, no, come on. When you're a lawyer and you're considering taking a case, you get a whole bunch of evidence that we as the general public does not get, do not get. This wasn't one guy who raped one person. As we now understand, as it is a matter of the public record, you know, this was over decades. It was it was many, many people. This I, was a I whole... don't think he was charged with raping more than one person. So I, like, I don't want to get into the heart. I don't know the details of it. I got to tell you, Harvey Weinstein is probably the first person that I ever looked at a photograph of and was like, yeah, he rapes. <laughs> Not sure this motherfucker has a choice. Not a handsome man. Not, a lot of meat and extra skin on his face. Yeah, he's ugly. You know, the sad part is, he's done so well in life, he probably doesn't know he's ugly. You know, when you're good looking, Everybody will tell you, oh, you look wonderful. You're so great looking. But when you're ugly, you got to figure that shit out for yourself. <laughs> it's a lot of putting clues together through the years. Why am I not getting in the club? I got all the right shit on. Because <laughs> if it was Brad Pitt doing that shit, he wouldn't hurt a peep. The girl just come back down like, I got the part. <laughs> yeah. And yet, and yet, it is important that I acknowledge, ladies, you are absolutely right. There you go. They gotta all be mindful of that, guys, because uh, this could happen to any of us. It could happen to me. I can see that. I see myself showing up. Hi, I'm here for my 3 a.m. with Mr. Weinstein. <laughs> hey, Harvey, I got your text. I'm here to talk about the script. <laughs> Seems like it's going to be hard to read in candlelight, but I guess I could try. Yeah. <laughs> Sound like a fucking nightmare. Could you imagine that shit? Did you imagine if he was in a business meeting and a motherfucker pulled their dick out? In the middle of the meeting, I'd be like, yo! Yo, my man, this is the most unprofessional shit I've ever seen in all my days. Just let me finish, Dave Chappelle. I'll put you in all three Lord of the Rings. Hurry up, nigga. I have other meetings to know. <laughs> I have a 4.30 a.m. at Brett Ratner's house. And, uh, <laughs> I believe it's wardrobe fitting. What we do know is that he sexually harassed. He fondled people with the massage. He made them like jerk him off while he's getting a massage. He yes. did this for decades. <laughs> we don't he know that. That's power. alleged. I believe that was actually in part of the finding against him. Anyway, yeah. when you're the lawyer, you get all. This. No, no, I say and alleged because I don't want to get you sued. That's what I'm saying. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, 
everything I say is actually representing the views of this podcast anyway. So you'll just, uh, you'll just get. <laughs> All right, look, so, so, so I, I so, think, but, but you understand my point that you, that you, you can't, you can't reduce it to the specifics of what you think you do or don't know about that case. If it's going to be about if people, if the, if lawyers are depend rapists are off limits. The reason I share that story from my own dorm experience is to say that being in charge of a dorm is not just some general thing. It's, it's a very so specific, there, uh, yeah, I saw it. One woman. It is so, if you really think that he, if that's your belief, that because uh, you know this one, this conviction was about one woman and all of these other women who testified. No, Jay, I don't have I don't have a belief or not a belief about Harvey. Do you Weinstein. not think that being in charge of a dorm is a slightly more sensitive context and role than hosting a podcast? I'll answer you. First of all, I don't have a belief or not a belief about Harvey Weinstein. If I had to, if you put a gun to my head, I would I would probably err on the side of many more of these things being true than not. But I, um, I feel strongly that we live in a system and the system embraces certain fictions because, as, we, as they say in the law, better to let 100 guilty people go free than one innocent man be convicted. And if we start teaching our people to short-circuit the system and say, well, if, as long as you read it in the paper and you feel it's true— then not only should you start treating that guy like he's guilty, but you should also treat the people who work for him as 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 uh, aiders and abettors. You should start treating the lawyers as pariahs. Like this is the road to ruin for an American system. The civics of our system depend on us having thicker skins than that and understanding, just like the First Amendment teaches us, you're going to hear terribly upsetting stuff. It's funny that you, that, like the... The dorm, the person in the dorm who has to know that the attorney who's her RA, as you put her, the dean, whatever, as Harvard puts it, is defending a rapist, is then going to have to go on campus and may see the swastika, and their parents might have died in the camps, but that, that, that you're okay with. I, I just, mean, like, just, people, people are going to see things that upset them. It's not about seeing things that upset them. Or hear things that upset it's them. It's not about hearing things that upset them. It's about your personal sex, safety and, and safety from sexual harassment in particular okay, is being entrusted. No, 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 I'm not going to stay on this point, because, and I'm, we'll leave it, but I just yeah. want to finish this thing. Go ahead. The law recognizes context all the time. Let's take the stupidest cliche in the book, shouting fire in a crowded theater. You can go out onto, uh, you know, onto Bleecker Street and shout fire, and that's no problem. You shout the same word in a in a crowded theater. Now it's incitement to violence or whatever the you know whatever the public disorderly conduct, whatever that is. So we understand that acts that are fine in one place are not fine someplace else. This guy is totally fine, totally kosher. He defended somebody. He did his thing in general. In the unique context of being in charge of a dorm, we hold it to a different standard. And if if people can't, if you know, we're talking about like, can people not understand, you know, nuance and whatever, they should understand that nuance. We use a higher standard when it's the place where all of these 18-year-old, you know, girls, boys, and everybody else, where they sleep, where they bathe, where they have sex with each other consensually, or hopefully all the time, but probably not, where it's a very vulnerable context. How do you think we went all That's these... It. We just, it's a, it's, How did we go it's all, not these, generalizable. all these hundreds of years without this ever being an issue? Because anyway. women were raped and men didn't care about it. That's how we got all these hundred years. Okay, how, but, how do you think? Okay, but it's not just... Rape is not the only... Women were harassed and men no, didn't no, care about it. No, no, but somebody could also be defending a murderer, and people certainly had people in their family, people who were murdered. It's not about feelings. You, this is what I, the right always does. It's like, oh, it's about I, hurt I, feelings. I didn't say it's about feelings. I'm saying— It's about the personal safety of the women in that dorm. 
and not just their feeling of safety, but actually right. Their but safety. so if you're defending a if you're defending a murderer. Aren't they in risk of being murdered? My last last time I checked that murder endurance was a lot less. So, so you really do think that endurance. somebody who would defend somebody accused of rape would be soft on preventing rape in the dorm? You really think? I think that? it's a fair question. No, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. You know, know. that's crazy I think talk. Reason, no, I don't think it's crazy. I think uh, reasonable people would disagree about. Right, that. I listen. I have I have friends who are defense attorneys. Um, they have daughters. I I, I you must you must know people who. Of course. You, you can't possibly believe that because they defend tax evaders, they're more likely to evade taxis, t taxes. If they defend rapists, they're, they're, they're likely to look the other way on rape. If they defend murderers, they're less likely to be concerned about but murder. You, you, also, can't, you can't believe We it. also know from some of the excesses on both sides, right and left, where there has been overzealous prosecution of accused male sexual predators and where there has been under enforcement, let's say, or under prosecution. We know that it's not that black and white. Okay, let's We know something. that in campus sexual harassment, it's lots and lots of shades of gray. And again, this is not what I came here to talk about. Okay, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about now she got fired for plagiarism. Well, she resigned, but yeah. What's that? She got asked to resign and resigned, but you know. Well, we're being very Talmudic in this conversation. Yeah, so. now, she, now she was asked to resign. Uh, do you think she was fired? Um, I mean... That's this is how we do it. You never fire anybody if you can get them to just resign. This way, she saves face. Harvard probably saves. Some but money. do you think that this was a? Oh yeah, she, this was clearly she's fired. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now constructively so she, fired. So now she's constructively fired. And I don't know. I I looked at quite a few of the examples of the plagiarism, and I'm not being over the top here. I have a fifth grade son, and actually, this is a true story. I've told when this all broke. He actually was doing his first research project. And that day, <laughs> he had written something that I suspected might be too close to a Wikipedia page or something like that. And I, and I, I went and checked it. Actually, it, he was all right. But if I had found any of those examples, like I saw in Claudie, I would, my fifth grader, I had been like, no way. You have to do it over. This is ridiculous. You know, even if he had cited it, I would have said it was the, and there's 50 examples of them. Seven out of 15 of her uh, published papers. I thought it was five out of 11. No, it's gone up since. Gone up. Um, so she obviously deserved to be uh, resigned, right? <laughs> uh, she deserved to be reprimanded. We would never be, first of all, let's just be, let's just be real that we would never be having this conversation if there weren't people who were motivated for an ideological reason to go after her, right? So That's what? why, okay, well, but, so what? That's why we're having this, right? This was a hit job. But have you ever said, like, I'm sure we have all have you ever in your life said that in a conversation about what Trump might have done wrong? No, of course I did. Yes. <laughs> you yeah, said, I've said oh, the only the reason we're talking about Trump doing it is because people, that, that's, that's the nature of I the mean, world. I mean, I wrote those articles like that. Yeah, sure. But, you know, this is either this it's is true case. or it's not. Who cares why they went after her? No, of course we care because ultimately this was a kind of hit job that they went after her and they made No, no, it's a hit job if it's not true. No, it's a mountain out of a molehill. So it's true, but it's true in context. It's 50 examples. It's a 50. Or 49. Oh, see, you're exaggerating. Uh, well, I, I've, no, I read 50 somewhere. And then, and then I many. saw almost 50. So I, I, I'm. No, look, her conduct ultimately is. Five would be indefensible. It's indefensible. Oh, so more than 40. Now we're down to that. So. But that's, that's that uh, two of, days ago. I think, I think some more came out. Yesterday. Anyway, whether it's 40. Look in the last 24 hours. I'm not, that yeah. one I'm not going to debate. Yeah. So. You know, I, it's not defensible. I'm not defending it. I guess the question is, are all offenses fireable offenses? And 
I, well, what would know, happen to a student who did what she did? Well, she was pretty smart about it. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to prove that this was played. I don't know. It's not know, hard to prove. It's it's clear. It's no, hard. she changed enough of the words. No, she you didn't. Know, real... Have you looked at the examples? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, she, she did not change the this whole. No, she always would change like two or three words. That's how you that's how you fake it, right? So you'd evade the. Uh... I'm not defending this. Okay, conference. let me tell you. Something. I'm going to so, send you. A link. I'm not going to defend. Online, there is a Harvard five question quiz <laughs> to teach you to teach students whether or not. Yep. To plagi- whether something is plagiarized or not. And at, each, at the end of each example, you have to say, is this correct? Is this allowed? Is this allowed? The examples are so much further away from plagiarism than anything she came close to doing. And all of them, by the Harvard standard, Harvard says, sure. this is not okay, this is not okay. But she not only changed just a few words, she also had some of those whole uh, uh, paraphrase paragraphs with no citation to where they came from. One of the experts who was who was plagiarized was furious about it. Well, that expert, you don't want to defend her. Well, I'm not going to defend the other person listen, I, who has a, who has their own on. reputation in the academic. I, I don't know. I'm, I can only imagine you haven't actually read these paragraphs. No, no, no I've read them. I'm not defending them. They are. They are. If a student did that. There is no way a professor could not give them an F and report them to the, the, the school authorities. Would that student then be expelled? I don't know enough about how these things operate. They'd certainly be suspended. Uh, she certainly, That's once. She, yep. Now, if you did it 50 times, I think the student would absolutely have been expelled after the second time. Yeah, I don't know. The, and by the way, I, they couldn't be they couldn't be accidental because of no, what this you, wasn't accidental because of what you said. If it was accidental. It would be a hundred percent the same. Yeah, no, totally not accidental. I'm not defending it. I can't defend it. It's it's unconscionable. And behavior. she's the president the wrong, of Harvard. It's the wrong behavior. She has to go, right? Uh, I, you know, and didn't, didn't just, the president of Stanford also get fired recently or something? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. But that was even more. That was much more closer, closer case than this one. This one is a is a more stronger on your side. I mean, her Claude and Gaze. Did he have enemies? Yeah, as, as actually, I believe it was more. It wasn't politically like in this sense of political. It wasn't it was political. campus politics. So, so then that undercuts no, the it was idea. Campus politics stuff there as well. I mean, I, look. I'm did, not anybody, did anybody bring up in his defense the fact that he had enemies? And I'm not. I'm not. It's not about defending. I think it's just about. What really happened? So, if you the the article I just published, which I'm sure will be in the show notes, you know, is like what what's what really happened in this chess game, right? What really happened was she handed her enemies a weapon to 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 hit her with, and they used it. So that was her that was her bad. She handed that weapon, but let's remember who used it, right? This is still part of the same campaign. This is not separate from that. So it's like you can both sides can be wrong at the same time. But it's not like she's wrong. right. It's not like she's she's wrong and they're wrong. Everybody's wrong. Like the this sort of ideologically motivated pylon where people who have whether they have you know political points to score, or whether they have anti-cancel culture points to score, like you've been discussing, or whatever it is that they want to score. Like so, you're going after her for hypocrisy. Other people are going after her saying she's an anti-Semite. Whatever. That's what's really going on. Well, and this is the pretext, right? So again, the pretext is true. I'm not defending her conduct, and I'm there's no way to defend it. You know, I can contextualize it, whatever. But I'm not. Well, let me let, for, for, Listen, your, your, your friends don't drop a dime on you when you do stuff. So it's just a dynamic of the world that it's the people who don't like you who are going to expose what you did. And you're right. 
sometimes that's um, even when I'm on the side of the people who who drop. I say, "What are you doing? This is cruel." This is, sometimes it really is, is a pretext. But when the president of Harvard is engaging in that level of of uh, academic dishonesty and lying about it, then I think at that point there are other issues here that somebody has to say, you know what, I don't care what their motivation was. I'm happy they told me because this is outrageous and it undermines everything I believe in. Is, you know, in other words, what if, what, if, uh, what if you found out that the president of Harvard Mail raped somebody and the, and the people who came forward with it were the, you know, some ideological enemies? Hey, well, you know, yeah, sure. maybe that's why they came after case. I think I don't, this I is, don't disagree strongly with, yeah. with what you're saying now, yeah. but, you know, what should happen? There should have been a, there would have been, if this was a regular context, there would have been a process, right? I don't know the ins and outs of the Harvard rules. I suspect she would go through the process and she would be asked to resign or she would be well, I suspect from that process, but she didn't get the process. She didn't get due process. What really happened was that she's not able to raise money anymore, so she got fired, right? Your main job as a president of university Can I, can I add one thing? Because this, this, this is not yet... Um, totally uh, uh, vetted. We don't know all the details yet, but something tells me this might be even more important than the plagiarism. There was another issue, I think it was one of her early papers, where the statistical interpretation is in question, and she won't share the data. Now, sharing your data is step A in any peer-reviewed thing. And there's only one reason that I can think of that you don't share your data is because the data doesn't have integrity in some way. Yeah, I, look, I'll defer to that. I mean, I, I you've heard about you've heard about this. No, point. I didn't hear about yeah. it. I mean, if that's true, yeah. there should be a process, and she should suffer the. Well, she can demand the process. She, she has well, a employment a little, contract. A little, a little late now. No, look, she may well lose her job. I mean, no, I, they're I, keeping. Know, she's still making eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. She might. She for now. She, you know, I don't know that she's going to keep that job. So look, I, I oh, would be. I, I would absolutely. I think you agree. can bet on her keeping that job. Oh, I don't think so. Let me tell you why. You think because. If they fire her, she's going to sue them, and and who knows what's going to come gonna, out. She, well, maybe, but she's definitely going to lose. I mean, if she, oh, they're all going to lose. Yeah. So that, <laughs> I mean, look, I what should happen in this? What should have happened in this case is these are serious allegations. They had the first round of allegations. They're like, yeah, not great. Slap on the wrist. Keep going. Okay. Then the next allegations came up. They should investigate them. Looks to me like she should probably get fired as a result of the of the process. But that's not what happened, right? What happened was it was a few influential donors. It was her inability to raise money. She lost the confidence of a few people and then drip, drip, drip. And so she was pressured to resign. Right. That's the part that for me, that's what really happened, right? Apart from the like, whatever, you know, th that's what really And in happened. no way to you is this exposing a horrible rot of hypocrisy on the left in control of these elite academic institutions? I really, no, I, I, mean, I mean, I guess you want me to, I don't know what you no, want I'm asking to you, I'm asking you, like, like, the, the, like the, the notion of all the things like, we, that, they, that they won't allow to be said or that-, that But I still haven't gotten an example that's equivalent to a student saying something stupid. Well, I can guarantee you if there had been a white group of students um, just saying, fuck BLM, uh, the university would have put its foot down. Oh, uh, look, that's not that's not specific enough. Would have put its foot down. How would they have defunded the organization? Maybe we just saw Students Justice for Palestine get defunded all across the country, they, right? So, like, that's already happening. So, there's a lot of cancel culture coming from the right right now. I'm no fan of SJP. 
to put it mildly, right? But they're all the foot is being put down. So would it be in violation of a university bullying and harassment policy for some white students to say fuck BLM? Probably not. I think I don't, my I, answer I, is I, it depends I, on listen, context. They they don't. I'm not seeing a single they don't case of this work. At, 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 they decide what they want to do, then they find the policy it violates. That's not true. Oh, come on. Of course it's true. Of course it's true. Give me some evidence. Give me one example of that. Uh, you know what? I'll have you on again, and I'll, and I'll look into it. I, I guarantee you there, there are examples all over the country of people who have not been allowed to say students. this or that. Students, so students we, who have not been allowed to say we've this had, or that. I know we've had students who got, who got expelled because they were overheard saying the N-word to each other. I remember that. No, I I'd need to look at the facts about that. Yeah, and um, what the it, policy was that they yeah. violated. Well, they, it just it, doesn't, you know, I don't. I, so, like the claim that like there's somehow universities are soft on anti-Semitism or anti-Semitic speech on their campuses just flies in the face of what we've seen over the last several months, last few months, where people who say things that are borderline anti-Semitic. I didn't say they were soft on anti-Semitism. Okay, so they're they're putting their foot down equally. What, so that's not hypocrisy. No, what what they are soft. What they're not. They're not soft on anti-Semitism. They're extremely harsh on anti-intersectional talk. They're, they're, not, they're not soft on anti-Semitism. Mean, they might be soft on anti-Semitism, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. The, po the point I'm trying to make is that for years, they have been triggered. Where did this concept of trigger, it was a hallucination that everybody's worried about getting triggered? The whole notion of don't trigger, which you even alluded to with this, with this um, Harvey Weinstein thing, this whole notion of don't trigger has been everywhere. Everywhere, and this is, and all of a sudden, now, the real crisis facing higher education right now is the end of the tenure system, the starving of the humanities, the corporatization of college campuses, and the reliance on very low-paid contingent faculty, of whom I've, you know, count myself as an adjunct professor. That's the real crisis. This whole thing about the culture wars and cancel culture, and and students who are, you know, who are snowflakes, and everybody's getting triggered. I'm sorry, but you're like your your right wing media consumption is showing. It's just like there are, of course, there there are excesses, you know. There's but there's a good uh, po another podcast you could listen to. There's a podcast called If Books Could Kill, and they went through sort of the top five stories of campus hysteria that that pissed people off the most. There was that one with the like the Chinese food in the cafeteria, and the student was offended because it wasn't real Chinese food. Anyway, you can go through them, and when the closer you dig, it's just it's usually students saying stupid shit, which is always what they do this is like i'm not saying that like there's not an over over wokeification uh of the left obviously there is but the magnitude of this crisis is nothing like the ben shapiro's of the world want to make it out to be it's just this is again a tool of a larger culture war uh that's about turning back the clock that i don't think is good for the jews but whether it is or not these are the same people christopher rufo is now the hero of the jews i mean this is the guy who says that i'm a groomer for heaven's sakes like these are not the good people that we want to be defending so yeah just you know we can go case by case on these campus you know incidents um but i don't think we're going to find this hypo level of hypocrisy so your quest your question was isn't this hypocrisy and my answer is still no well, I don't like the fact that you say my right-wing uh, media because <laughs> it's, it's not the case at all. Um, but I'm, I'm just— It's just where these stories come from. Like, these stories circulate in an ecosystem, and it's not some shadowy conspiracy. It's just, you know, the, did you these read, stories get a lot of attention. Did you read James Bennett's 100,000-word essay in The Economist <laughs> about his experience at The New York Times? It was roughly 100,000 words. Did uh, I did not read every word. Okay, well— I can plagiarize some of them, but I'll, yeah. it without, uh, I'll cite it without— uh, That, that um, 
essay ought to tell you everything that you need to know to not uh, the same, attack me in an ad hominem way about right-wing media they're consumption. They're the same things he happening was, on the left, though. He, there's the same stuff. There's a, there's he, a, uh, hold on. He was the editorial page editor of the New York Times, and he wrote in chapter and verse about how this sensitivity to things that people don't want to hear ruined the New York Times and these claims of I don't feel safe and all this stuff. He, he literally described how the Times was a shell of a good paper and he, now, even if it's trying to get back to where it ought to the be. The left says the same thing. There was a, there was a so, trans person who so worked did at the So did it just magically bubble up? It, it doesn't exist at all at the universities? No, I'm not and, it doesn't exist at all. I'm saying it's like, again, it's this kind of- Is he a right-wing guy? I don't know. I, no, I he's not a right-wing guy. I have guy. no idea what his politics are. I'm saying the same- have, if, he, if, he's just, New York, if he's editorial page editor of the New York Times, you have some idea what his politics are. Ross Douth, that's on the New York Times. He's a Christian conservative. There are plenty of folks on the Times who are conservative. Uh, you can also not, read- You're a not being straight you, with me. Go ahead, go ahead. I am. You can also read a left-wing critique of the Times. There was a trans employee at the Times who said from Dean Beckett on down that they just don't, quote, don't get it about trans people. The Times has platformed, anti, has platformed anti-trans authors like Pamela Paul, who they've elevated to like the senior your editorial board and so there's critiques of the times from the left there are also plenty of critiques of the times from the left on their coverage of israel palestine okay but this Everybody is what you're wrong first of all james, james bennett was not a left-wing critique a right-wing critique of the times it was a left-wing critique of the times if left-wing still means you believe in in free free debate number one number two you might be a little too young the new york post used to have a guy he died it was eric brendel he was one i am of, too young he was a very, very, very it was an interesting story. He was a drug addict. He died young. He was brilliant. I think he went to Harvard. Um, and he was editorial page editor of the, of the New York Post. He was a very, very pro-Israel, pretty right-wing guy. Not, not like anti-gay right-wing, but you know. Um, and at that time, Pat Buchanan was one of the regular syndicated columnist at the time at, at the post at the time he he wrote many of his famous anti-semitic columns and nobody at that time thought there was any reason that the post shouldn't be running his columns we all understood that that's that's the way it goes you're hearing dissenting opinions you could be furious about this pat buchanan anti-semitic column william buckley wrote a book about it and and but this was perfect. Nobody would have would have the nerve to have said, "Well, you shouldn't be able to run columns like that," because that was the ethic. That was that was um, these were the people who were journalists then were the people who were saying that the Nazis should march in Skokie. That was the culture then. That was that's what liberal people believed. You know, at the time that the Nazis were marching in, Sk in Skokie, which the, they never did actually, but no, yeah, they had, yeah. but they did march at the next town over, I think. Right, the ACLU came under all kinds of attack by mainstream Jewish organizations who should, who said that it shouldn't happen. Yeah, and I doubt I'd, I'd have to check the record. I'm not sure that Abe Foxman was so on board with Pat Buchanan's anti-Semitism. No, but I'm saying at a newspaper, the notion that at a news. Well, you know, do you think like if you had you know Jonathan Greenblatt on the show that he would be like, yeah, let's go back to the good old days where Pat Buchanan's anti-Semitism would be platformed? Uh, I hope he would. I don't know. I don't. Of course I'm not, he I, I, I don't. John, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, in a million years I, I mean, I don't know why I have that. to. Why? Why that has anything to do with me? Because I, I'm just. Saying, I'm not like, a fan of Jonathan claim, Greenblatt. Okay, I'm just saying the, that it's not that the culture has evolved only in one direction. It's also evolved. You know, I don't know which way, right, up, down, left, right. But you know, it's there are a lot of things that we used to tolerate that we now 
don't really. So tolerate. you have no tolerance for any of this unless no, it's on a college that's, campus. That's way exaggerated. I have a lot of tolerance for it. It's a question of like, well, you, you don't what think you, want a you don't think Substack should allow people to uh, uh, have authors who who believe in white replacement theory. I'm right on the border of that. It hits personally. You wrote a column I have a Substack. About I have a Substack, and I forwarded the letter that people wrote, and I was dismayed by Substack's response. You know, I'm still on Substack. It's just, I, I'm definitely like I don't have a quick answer for you. I think it's a tough one. But students should be able to say uh, why those those the white replacement people should be able to say whatever they want. I just don't know that it's great that a company is making a bunch of money off of them and elevating and giving them a megaphone. If a student wants to set, do white replacement theory on a college campus, hasn't Baruch Hashem? You can do it in any publication. Hasn't you want. There, I just don't know why I want to support. Hasn't that there been enough? So you want the Nazis on Substack? Of course I do. Hasn't there been <laughs> hasn't there been enough overshoot by people in the in the bottleneck of of uh distribution in the last 5 years that we should have learned our lesson by now that as much as we think and would be happy if we could just limit it to the Nazis that we know that once you put somebody in charge of what can and can't be said through accretion in a very short time, vital things get censored. And the price we pay for not having that happen is that the Nazis get to blah, blah, blah on the internet, which can't be stopped anyway. So I just quibble with, I was, I was being a good boy and letting you finish instead of being Jewish and interrupting. The two words that I would push back on of what we just said are the word said and the word censored. People can say whatever they want. Nazis should be able to say whatever they want. The real word is platformed. Should Substack be handing them a gigantic... So I joined Substack because it's going to amplify my message and I get to make money. Who platforms right? Substack? Substack platforms Substack. No. They built a successful business. S Good Substack, Substack doesn't control own its own servers. Substack doesn't uh, own This own is nonsense. We all know what Substack is. Come on. You're I'm not going to hide behind the lines. No, no. I'm, not, I'm asking you. Substack should, has built a wonderful product. Should, if, if sub, well, this is what happened to Parler. What I'm saying, Parler was was not deplatformed by Parler. AWS and uh, whatever. Yeah, no, I would not be. I would not be for AWS and others deplatforming Substack because Substack won't deplatform the Nazis. What I would think, what I would say is that so it's, not, it's not, not an outrageous thing. I said it actually no, happened. No, yeah, no, it yeah, I'm happened. on board. Yeah. What so there's a difference between saying and getting a megaphone, and there's a difference between censored and saying I'm not going to make money off of your Nazism. And I think there is a principle there that, and Substack already censors, quote unquote, censors or deplatform speech, right? There are sex workers who had Substacks and Substack threw them off. I don't know why. I don't know what they have against sex workers, but that's what they did. So they're already a little bit in the hypocritical waters themselves. And I think it's a tough look. Substack is a private, but business. you know, it's they very can do whatever they want. Very, For me personally, as a Substack contributor or whatever I am, publisher is the word they use. I don't know. Look, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, it's a tough question, but I, I think it's, I think the, I think it's, Actually, I don't think it's a tough question. I think that it's hard to say it out loud because people will take it to mean that you somehow. No, everybody knows that you and I don't support Nazis. I mean, I think it's like. But the white replacement people who make the, money off of Nazis. The white replacement theory is interesting because it's similar to what you said about River to the Sea. There are there are you know the pure white replacement theorists who um, <laughs> you know they speak. We, we understand what they are. But then, for instance, I saw uh, a couple of days ago in the paper that. Immigrant births, was it illegal? Oh, no, more illegal immigrants are coming into the country in the last period than American babies were born. I say, holy shit, 
that is that even you know that's that's a that's a stat to grapple with. More new lives are coming in over the border than are being born to Americans. So if you extrapolate that, you are going to see some replacement, right? Now somebody wants to write about that. I know that somebody's going to accuse them of white replacement theory, and then they're going to try to deplatform them. I know that, and I and that's the reason why. I want the white replacement theories to be not because I, not because any nourishment. No, to it's what a firewall say. against the closer case. Because I guarantee you, that's what's going to happen. Because that's what's happened in every single other issue we've dealt with in the last five years. I don't know. You know, there's a a, a candidate. He's not doing so well. But a candidate for president. You know, who just espoused white replacement theory in Iowa, Vivek Ramaswamy. You know, in the hardcore way. Isn't right? he, is he brown? I know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the irony is not lost on me. You know, and he did what it. What did he say? He, he did it in the hardcore way. He's like, the Democrats are, are bringing in illegal immigrate, immigrants in order to, you know, to, to get more votes and to replace white. He didn't use the word replace. Well, to get more votes, I think, is is um, true. Yeah, that's definitely not true. Anyway, well, well, it's, I mean, it's not racist, but it's not true either. I, I think, well, I, it's true to the following extent. There, It was conventional wisdom for a very long time that immigrants in general would be friendly to the Democratic Party. And even, even if they were never- Which uh, didn't play out, by the right, way. Right, well, that's, and even if they were never legalized, their children would become citizens and they would be become voters. And we could guarantee, just the way politics are, that if it was the opposite, if Republican thought these, Republicans had thought that these would become Republican voters, Republicans would have been on the side of them. That's just, that's that's the horrors that are politicians. And if Democrats thought that these were going to grow up to become Republicans, they would not be all for it. And now and now that we're seeing that we that they're all racist by assuming that you could just predict what an immigrant will be because <laughs> of the fact they're immigrant and you shouldn't just, now we're saying, oh, these people are in play no matter where they come right. from. Surprise, surprise. A lot of Latinos are actually socially conservative. And oh, yeah. Surprise, like surprise. The people that actually are, are actually not just reducible to their label. Right, right. Now I think you're you're seeing a lot more flexibility on both sides, actually. Well, yeah, I don't know. So I, I take your point that we want like the bad white replacement person as a firewall. Is, uh, he brought, our, uh, yeah, he brought yeah. a, what's going on? Polls show Latinos back Donald Trump over Joe Biden. It's amazing. Yeah, for now. We'll see. Well, but even, even if it's even if it's just for now. It's still that's pretty remarkable. That's a hell yeah. of a of a stat. But if you look too, like uh, it's I don't know if we can read the fine print. You know, the Republicans have a pretty good message right right now at, that's hitting a lot of uh, Latino voters where they are. You know, it's like it's you know the economic opportunity stuff, and Latinos are not like what is a Latino, right? So there's people from you know Cuba who have some pretty questionable ideas well, about small, people from Mexico. No, there's just yeah. like there's a you know it's a very diverse population, and you know we have this one label like you said, and it just. Uh, it is interesting to see suddenly a moderation of Republican anti-immigrant <laughs> rhetoric as we see the way that some of the immigrants uh, and their children uh, are voting. But yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think I think the Nazis on Substack question is a close case. I do know people who have left Substack as a result. You know, it's like I, it's a close one, and I just it it I do think that where I think that the, where I think I can be clear is in that disagreement with those words about said and censored, because people can say whatever they want. The question is, people go use the Substack tool because it is effective at magnifying their voices. Well, I, and so to pretend that it doesn't magnify their voices, <clears throat> that's kind of BS. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what, I, I know we have to go. I wanna tell you about this, this censor thing. I understand your point, but there's a, uh, is it Kant, Kantian? Like um, the categorical, impar categorical imperative, where if you think something is right to do, 
you also imagine that everybody ought to do it. Sure. And if you believe that Substack ought to shut the gate on certain types of ideas, it's a little weaselly to then say, but you know, someone else can still do it. But, but then of course, if I brought you that other person, well, they should stop too. And they should stop too. So the fact is, if you believe Substack ought, ought to do it, you probably believe everybody ought to do it. And if you believe everybody ought to do it, it is a will for censorship. No, but then I don't care, right? So let's take Tucker Carlson as a good example, right? So he said a bunch of like stuff that I think crossed the line into pretty overt racism. So he was deplatformed. He's now on Twitter instead of Fox. His audience is much smaller, so he's causing a lot less harm. I'm not interested in like eradicating bad ideas. It just feels as though, you know, there's a lot of gray area between platforming on the best tool and eradicating. And to the extent that that Substack is a very good tool, I'd like them not to be platforming. There are plenty of other competitors to Substack who will gladly take up the Nazi vote. And look, Twitter's similar, not now in the new Twitter, but you know, in the pre-Elon Musk Twitter, when people got banned from Twitter, they went elsewhere. They went to Parler, they went to Truth Social, they went to wherever they went, and those were smaller. And you know, that feels good. You know, that's the market, that's the capitalist market saying this is what we want, what we don't want. And I suspect if enough people I'm not really one of them, but if enough people were like, fuck you, Substack, we're not going on Substack, that would be capitalism. That's the way it's supposed to work. It is. It does work that way. These are very hard issues. There's no, there's no, um, there are hypotheticals and scenarios that can make everybody say uncle. But I think that um, we should just, we should just always err on the side of free speech. I mean, I think, look, I think where I, I might be coming around to agreeing with you has nothing to do with principle and just about practice. Like, if we look at the last 10 years, um, has banning what I would call crazy lunatic ideas from the mainstream, has that worked? And it clearly has not worked, right? We have more crazy lunatic ideas now, more QAnon, more anti-vax, more like crazy stuff now than we had 10 years ago. So it does seem it's, as though the... Can I add to that? It's, it's deeper than that because by... I don't know where it started, but it's certainly part of it was Russiagate then certain COVID stuff, then certain VAC stuff, then the lab leak stuff, then whatever the other things that aren't coming to my mind. There's so many things which turned out not to be true that trust is really at an all-time low and for good reason. People just people have just gotten the feeling that the people in charge of feeding them information are so filled with an agenda now that they just can't take things at face value anymore. So I agree. And since we're on our way out... But I, I also want to hear about Israel before you go on if you have time. I want to plant a little seed of yeah. concern around that, which yeah. is that when, when that conspiracy mindset about the people in charge of the flow of information, when that takes hold, eventually it almost always circles around to anti-Semitism. There's a structural form of, of anti-Semitic rhetoric where it's populists versus the elites. And the elites are... Less numerous, but too powerful. That's the Jews. The elites are overrepresented in media, government, and finance. That ends up being the Jews. And the elites don't have the best interests of us, the nation, at heart. That's the Jews. And so I agree with what you're saying. I don't disagree with it. But it makes my skin crawl because inevitably we get to the real conspiracy theory, the uber conspiracy theory, which is anti-Semitism. Where are you in Israel? Well, that's great. This is good. I get to promote my Substack piece for tomorrow. Oh, please! <laughs> while I'm doing that, yeah. I mean, I think where there's an interesting moment now 
so I, I identify as kind of a liberal Zionist. I'm like a J Street, two street, two state solution, pro-Israel person. And people like me have really been hurt and confused, uh, like many other Jews and others in the last few months, where, you know, obviously I think everybody Jewish or Jewish adjacent was, you know, horrified and traumatized by October 7th. And the more details we get about systemic rape and the rest, just, it, it, it hurts. I had a friend who was murdered. I have relatives in the army. It's very personal as I'm, I'm sure it is for you as well. I'm not sure, but probably is for you as well. Um, and yet we've now seen two months of the way or three months almost of the way that this war is being prosecuted. And there are a lot of folks, you know, who are on the more progressive side, but not the hard left, not the anti-Israel left, who are really troubled by the way this particular war is now unfolding. So J Street, I, uh, you know, I don't love everything they do, but two weeks ago, I think they put out a really smart statement uh, supporting Israel's right to self-defense, categorically opposing any of this, like, you know, hardcore anti-Israel stuff that's out there, and also saying that the U.S., should be exerting some pressure to think about what are the ways in which this war is happening? What's the end game? Is the end game really just the destruction of Hamas? To what extent, you know, Netanyahu refuses to repudiate anyone further to the right of him, the people who are calling for ethnic cleansing. And that's not the war that American Jews support. And so I, I think there's kind of a ripening of this centrist position that's neither the, you know, like the, they're sort of, after October 7th, I was prepared to just defend Israel because all of my friends were attacking Israel. And that's what I did. And I wrote a whole bunch of articles like that. And, you know, that's what I do. I write articles. So that's what I did. And now it's a little more nuanced. So <clears throat> this is what I think about it. Do you have time to listen or do you have to go? What time is it? It's, uh, what time is it, Max? It's uh, 6.48. Uh, you have five minutes? Five. Okay. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time today reading a book called Diplomacy by Henry Kissinger, which I know people don't like Kissinger, but this book is considered to be a classic. And I was reading the whole part about the run-up to World War II. And one of the themes in that book is the tremendous amount of unrealistic and naive and um, weak-minded thinking which went into the miscalculations at that time. Right. Appeasement and so on. Yeah. But also just these high fluting ideas that by, by disarming, we'll convince them that we're the good guys and therefore they'll be softer on us because we'll be less threatening. Right. And Everybody like, likes when you take yeah, their guns away. Yeah, yeah. And um, th like crazy stuff right. by Britain, by France. By so I am, and it sounds like a disclaimer, but it's not the case. I mean, I'm, I'm haunted by all the death and I rack my brains about it but I also don't want to be a naive thinker. And certain things I think are, are true. First of all, Biden is taking a tremendous political hit. So if anybody thinks that there's some easy and effective way that Israel could be fighting this war differently, and the Americans know about it, and they're just like, hey, guys, if you wouldn't mind, you know, this is... This is naive thinking. I am, I am quite confident that America would be ramming it down Israel's throat if there was a way to destroy this underground city surrounded by human shields in a, in a less bloody way. I actually think the Biden administration is, ram, quote unquote, ramming it down Israel's throat. They're just doing it in a way that's not public. No, I mean, all of the, all no, of the reports, no. all of the reports from the Blinken trips and all this so, stuff. So let me just, so, so no, I if think you, that if, pressure is happening. There's, there's some, 
Well, no, if you read the articles, the, for instance, the one in Newsweek that got out play, it says target for target, there is no disagreement. They wish they could be killing fewer civilians, but obviously if, if they could easily, everybody has- Well, definitely they can't easily. There's everybody no has a center to do it. But the thing is, the entire picture, this and then we can finish, of 150,000 to 200,000 rockets in the North, maybe half of them are precision guided. Hamas in the Southwest, the Houthis now destroying shipping, Iran enriching uranium. This is, for the first time in my lifetime and yours, actually an existential threat. And if you were to compare it to, uh, is, is Israel more threatened existentially than the United States was by Japan, than the United States was by Germany? By almost any kind of combination, you say, no, Israel's much, much more threatened. Does Israel therefore have the right to react with the full strength that we did when we were less threatened? Did we not have the right to do that? Is the world going to normalize human shields if we make Israel stand down and say, you know what, we're going to bend to the human shields because everybody know, we know that's the reason so many people are dying. There's no reason that the people or civilians are dying if they could get them out of there. They don't have to put rock. We know that's the reason they're dying. If, if Hamas wins, if Hamas winning, I say, by, means staying in power, there will never be a two-state solution because the only reason there will be a two-state solution is because the Palestinians will decide we have no choice. If Hamas wins, they will smell, if they don't already, that we can wait them out here. Time is on our side. Next time, this can be a dirty bomb. What if next time we all press the button at the same time and 200, or maybe it'll be 300,000 rockets, maybe they'll all be precision guided, and all the rockets from Hamas, and from Iran, and the shipping. Maybe we can kill a million Israel. So they're playing for all the marbles now. And believe me, I'm not, you don't know me, I'm not heartless about this. But someone has to tell me already after two months of hearing this stuff, how? Oh, yeah, no. I, and, and, we, and, if they well, don't, and, if, and if they don't tell us how, then the only thing we should be saying when we hear this stuff is not, yeah, I know, is right, how? If you don't have how, go back to the drawing board and let me know when you know. Because otherwise, you say you're a Zionist, it's all going down. The country is going. All right, you're making me late to my friends. So, but, but, but yeah, no, sorry. So, I'm, I'm saying gird yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, you'll say to I, realism. I wrote an article called "What Next" or "What Then?" What then? Uh, which was exactly that. Someone calls yeah. for a ceasefire. The question is, well, what then? Right. So, game it out. And and I reached a similar analysis to the way you do. Um, it is the case, but that it's, it's tough to say it, it out loud. It is the case. Well. I said it. People look at you like you're crazy. You uh, know? I mean, that was the reality. I think it's also the case, maybe on the other side, that you know, conventional wisdom for fighting in a tight urban location like this. Check out that J Street thing. It talks a bunch of military. They have a bunch of military experts who testified before Congress. These are not dumb people. Not not people like me. These are people who actually <laughs> actually study this. That if your goal is to eradicate you know, the fighters within the civilian population, you don't bomb the fuck out of all of the buildings. You go in and you try to, but 
look, at, at the end of the day, too, it's really not clear what the end game is because Sinwar is known with, by Israeli intelligence to have physically surrounded himself with Israeli hostages. Like, it's like he's sitting here and they're literally standing all around him. And if that's not an, an insolvable proposition, I don't you know. You know, there's what a is. terrible moral question. I, I haven't been able to answer it, which is how many of your own people, own innocent people, do you but, sacrifice? to save someone else's innocent people. I mean, look, that's what they, they will, at some point, some military commander will find where, where that scumbag is hiding and they will have that decision. They can kill him and they're going to kill a hundred or 200, you know, like they're going to kill a hundred hostages. And, and why the isn't time. the world calling on them to surrender, release the hostages, Israel, you know, and, and, uh, you know, exile them to Tunisia or something, you know? Yeah, no, look, that's the, uh, that, that, you, you're you're preaching the J Street choir, you know the call is. We don't hear do this exactly very often. It's Israel, Israel, Israel. How about Hamas? Stop! Release the hostages. Well, that was my claim. You know, when there was calls for ceasefire in October and November, I was like, it's not ceasing fire if one side is holding hostages at gunpoint, right? Because if that hostage walks out, you will fire, right? So that's not a ceasefire. Like a ceasefire, that's a that's a, a unilateral surrender. If Israel were to just Israel would cease fire, but Hamas not. But look, I think there's also the evidence is to like the Netanyahu government bowing to their harder right. You know, the Ben Gvirs and Smotricks of the world uh, no, decided not, not in the war cabinet. Decided they're not decided not to enter into another round of negotiations for a pause. I think that's not the right decision. There are a lot. There's a lot of gray area where yes. the government is operating, Th- where there is it. room. No, there is. Don't room. be naive. There's no. There's no room for a pause there, because. There's nothing Hamas. But there actually is. We'll do the exact same thing well, that they did the last time. Hamas. This is not going to we'll strengthen ne- Hamas if we have a if we what have a would Hamas? pause. First of all, there was a negotiation. Pause. We know Hamas turned it down. Both sides turned it down. No, no. All right, we're getting into no, the No, Hamas, no, that's not no, true. No, you're really making me late to my friend. Okay, Hamas turned it down, and they're down to their last number of hostages. They're never going to give them up. Why would they? I don't know. I don't know. I think, look, you know, ultimately, we, why would, we basically agree on the overall situation. I think that we should be careful. All Netanyahu would have to do to make me happy would be to go tell the hard, the far right people to fuck themselves and get out of the government. Oh, absolutely. And, and Netanyahu and, needs to go and, and they need to return to, uh, to, to the acceptable, uh, even acceptable right of center. This was this was a terrible thing that he that he made that deal with the devil. On that agreement, we can finish. We we, we agree. Okay, but um, and and you know, there's a lot of people dying. It, it's it's it is it's just very painful. I I I understand. Uh, you know, I, I understand it all. I I always feel very self conscious as someone who says the stuff that I say that people don't understand how I feel about this. I just trying to look at it in real life, Be, and and everybody should you you know you should get that get the Kissinger book diplomacy and read the chapter on World War II, and you'll immediately it'll jump off the page all the analogies to all the arguments you're hearing now. There wasn't in World War II an analog to the last most of the last twenty years of Israeli policy of undermining the Palestinian Authority and supporting Hamas because they wanted to kill the two-state solution. And there's no analog to that in the run-up to Nazi Germany. And that is a real tragedy that I think whenever this next phase of war finally at some point ends, if it ever does, that we'll just look back at that, those 20 years oh. where instead of, instead of strengthening the moderates, strengthening the center, 
They starved the center, strengthened the hard right so that the Israeli hard the right— The center that was responsible for the second intifada? The, is that, is that the, literally the, the center? The real center. The, the center that we don't love. The no, center but, no I'm fine. saying that was— They're who, not— All right, all right. Who, who were the people? But, but who were we, we talking really about? Are out of, we really are. Yeah, okay. Then. Listen, will you come on again? Sure. It was good. All right. Thank you very much. All right. 